What's up, guys? Here we gather for the MMA meeting. Let's talk with the Weasel Podcast, where we talk everything MMA, really. Maybe branch off to other things. I join you guys here in the cold Midwest. Extremely cold today. If you guys are on the East Coast in America or Midwest or something, you might feel what I mean. But if you're not, lucky, lucky people. Now this whole week, past, actually past two weeks, have been kind of crazy in MMA. A lot of things are going on. A lot of things have happened. Stemming from the UFC 217 card all the way till now uh, this past weekend, which is a strange night. Um, some finishes that no one expected. A lot of veterans fighting. Some retirements that were expected that didn't happen it was a great night of fights though um and then we come out with all these other news like dominic Cruz pulling out of his fight frankie edgar pulling out of his fight um you got conor mcgregor going crazy in bellator you got you got him supposedly getting pulled out of a card that wasn't ever announced that he was on and many other things i mean it's a good day to be a fan though and we got some good fights lining up uh, in the near future. We got the UFC 218 card looks pretty nice. The UFC 219, it looks okay up till now, but we need a main event, right? We need a worthy co-main event. It was, I think the co-main event was going to be Cruz and Jimmy Rivera if Cyborg and Holly Holm was going to be the main event. It's a great card, you know, even for some casual fans, I think it would be a good card. But for some reason, that fight's not going that well. A lot of people have been discussing a lot about money and things like that. Now, I don't understand the whole thing with Holly Holm. I understand why she wants more money. I mean, who's not going to want more money? But what are you really expecting here? First of all, this is probably the biggest fight you can you can take, right? Fighting Amanda Nunes is not going to make you as much money as fighting Cyborg. Cyborg is a much bigger draw, um, especially if she's matched up with Holly Holm. That combination is going to be enormous compared to Amanda Nunes, right? Hollyum does get paid pretty well as it is, right? Especially for a female fighter. She's one, I think she's one of the most paid female fighters in the UFC. Probably the most paid. So what is really keeping her back? Are they dropping her uh, show and win money or something? I, I don't know what it is. Even as it is, she might, ha she might be getting paid more than anyone else. And fighting Cyborg, you're going to get pay-per-view points and everything like that. It's going to be the probably the biggest card you're going to be part of for the rest of your career uh, heading forward. And it's a pretty good fight. I don't understand what that is with the whole I want more money thing and stuff like that. You don't see Cyborg. Cyborg is really the one that usually does that. So it's kind of weird to see Holly Holm do that when she says that this is her passion rather than a way to make money. Although it is a way to make money. But she has elaborated many, many times passion first. This should be a passionate fight, right? You're fighting probably the greatest female fighter of all time. And you have an opportunity to claim yourself in that category. I don't know what it is. You guys can speculate. But I really want to see that fight. They need a main event there. It could be Tyron Woodley because we did hear Tyron Woodley say recently that he could be fighting this year. I know a lot of fans think about Tyron Woodley. Sometimes he can be a super exciting knockout artist. And sometimes he can be pretty boring, you know. For me, I like his fights. I'm going to admit, though, that sometimes they get a little bit dull. But I like seeing chess matches as well. Um, and I think the fight to make for him is Colby Covington, right? Him versus Colby Covington is the highest profile fight that he could probably make. Because Colby is going to be willing to carry the promotion, right? He's going to talk a whole bunch of trash. He's already talking trash. He's been talking trash for years. Um, he just called him Ty Quill Woodley because he puts fans asleep and stuff. I mean... He's already starting, you know. Imagine them in the press conferences. Imagine them going on interviews and everything like that and Colby just going off the top. People actually start to love Tyron Woodley. They want to knock this guy out. And if the stories are true about the sparring matches they had and things that Colby claimed that happens in training, take that with a grain of salt, it could be a very interesting fight. Um, Style-wise and technical-wise, 
This could be a pretty fun fight in the fact that Colby is a very aggressive fighter. And he has a pretty similar style to Tyron Woodley in that he's a boxer with great wrestling. Hard to take him down and he's good offensively with it. Same thing kind of with Tyron Woodley, although Woodley throws a lot more leg kicks and he's a more defensive fighter rather than aggressive. So that could be a pretty interesting fight. And there's a little bit of bad blood there stemming from training days and Tyron Woodley supposedly leaving ATT to go to Rufus Sport and stuff like that. Just doesn't sit well with Colby. That should be the fight. That should be the next fight. Have these other uh, other guys fight it out. Robbie Lawler, RDA, should have the winner of that. Especially if Tyron Woodley's fighting Colby this year. Um, Darren Hill, I want him to fight Wonderboy. I don't know what's going on with that. It's mostly Wonderboy's management, right? Wonderboy has said that he would love to fight Darren Hill, even in England. All good, right? But his manager and or his dad, I don't know which one, is saying that this is not a fight they want to take because... One, no one really knows Darren Till, which it's kind of true, but I think he'd be a little bit surprised now, especially if they fight in England. Let's say if everything goes according to plan of Tyron Woodley beats Colby Covington and the winner of RDA and Robbie Lawler, whoever comes out the winner of that doesn't matter, fights the winner of that. Wonderboy is not fighting anyone ahead of him. He's only going to look back, right? He's not going to fight Damian Maia next. I guarantee that's not going to happen. He's not going to fight Colby Covington. He might fight the winner of Carlos Conn and Neil Magny, which is, again, still looking back. And Darren Till is almost in the same ranking as those two. It should be Darren Till. Darren Till is not some, Darren Till is not some top 15, top 20 fighter. He's like a number 7, number 8 ranked fighter. And he's coming up really, really quick. Business-wise, it would be incredible to have this fight happen. Because for sure, this is not going to be a boring fight. Wonderboy to not have a boring fight, he needs someone to commit with him on the feet. Right? And Darren Till is that guy. So... They should do this fight, and it's an opportunity to get Darren Till's name out. If he beats Wonderboy, goes for a title shot right after that, and let's say he even wins there, you got yourself a star. It's kind of what Conor McGregor did. Darren Till's already had, I think, four fights in the UFC. Now, if you compare him with Conor McGregor's career up until the title shot, Conor has also, I think, had four or five fights before he got the title shot. He didn't beat any really top-ranked fighters uh, besides maybe Dustin Poirier. Until he went to go get the title shot the first time against Aldo, but Aldo pulled out, right? Darren Till's on a very similar track. He'd just be down Cerrone, who's around the same rank as Dustin Poirier was back then, right? And then Connor did fight De Dennis Seaver. But if Darren Till goes and fights Wonderboy, I mean, that's a much bigger thing, you know? Goes and fights Tyron Woodley or something, beats him, you got yourself a star already. Now, I could be a little bit high on Darren Till because I am a fan of his style. I'm a fan of his technical approach. He likes to go out there. He likes to finish fights. He doesn't like to get in boring fights. I may be a little bit high on him. And I may be jumping the gun here. But I do believe that he probably will become champion very soon too. If giving this path. If they give him Wonderboy. Then they give him the winner of Tyron Woodley versus anyone. I believe he probably will become champion. Now Wonderboy is a huge task. Right? A huge task. Because yes he's a striker. And that's what Darren Till wants. But you're talking about one of the best strikers in the UFC. Someone who might even surpass Darren Till. And that will test him. That will test him in the way that he wants too. He wants someone to test him in the striking and he can develop that through that fight. If he beats Wonderboy, I don't really see anyone stopping him. Wonderboy and probably Damian Maya, But I think more Wonderboy is probably the hardest matchup for him in the, in the division. Because he's hard to take down. His movement is excellent, especially for a welterweight. He has huge power in his hands. He's fast. He's huge for the division. He might be the biggest guy in the whole division. Even if you take him down, he's really hard to keep down. And his movement is really his takedown defense. So Damian Maia is going to have a hard time grabbing hold of that leg. 
um, without getting caught. Um, same thing with Woodley. Woodley is going to be defensive and against the cage. And you guys are going to be interested with my next uh, Nightmare matchup. I'm going to make that pretty soon because a lot of the championships have shaken up uh, because of UFC 217. So yeah, I like Darren Till's chances against a lot of people. Now, I watched some videos of other analysts and things like that talking about Darren Till and what should happen for him next. They take the more business approach. I don't like to take that approach that much because I don't know much about it. And two, I don't really care too much about it. I mean, I care for them to make money. But when it comes to going to that length of just talking about what's next for them and only talking about the business side, it kind of turns me off a little bit. Um, in the beginning, it's kind of fun, but then it just gets a little bit too carried away. What I want to see, I want to see stylistic matchups. I want to see exciting fights. I want to see Darren Till versus Steven Thompson. I want to see Holly Holm versus Cyborg. I want to see, I don't know, Conor McGregor versus Tony Ferguson. I want to see these exciting stylistic matchups, right? Now, I understand that they're not going to make these matchups if they're not getting paid the money. And that's where I'm more interested. But when it comes to he's not going to do this because he's getting paid this and this is a stupid move for him because of this. He's only making this money, so why would you fight the best guy? You should wait a little bit, take it easy, fight the low-ranked guys while you're getting a little bit of money. And then when you get your new contract, then start fighting the big guys. I mean, this is just getting carried away. I've heard specifically about Darren Till. He should wait to fight Wonder Boy once he gets a new contract or something because... Or he shouldn't fight him now because he's he's not getting that much money. I, d I don't like this idea. Because if he fights Wonderboy, and he, let's say he knocks out Wonderboy, potentially he can sign in a new contract. The owners, Dana White or something, may want to sign a new contract with him if he gets into the title fight. Kind of what happened with Conor McGregor, I believe, before he went into the Chad Mendes fight. Because if he knocks out Wonderboy, you got a potential star. And a potential star is not going to sit with the same contract, right? Because now they're going to hold a little bit of leverage. I don't like this whole idea of him waiting until he gets a new contract and then fight the big guys. If you go up there quick, if you go up there and beat the best guys quickly, right? You're a young guy, you're exciting, you talk, um, you're a brash, confident guy. And you go out there and you just knock out these top contenders. And you go and fight the champion, knock them out, whatever. Evidently, the faster you do that, the more people cater to you, the bigger your star becomes. Because it's all happening so quick. Everybody wants to jump on the train really quickly. This is kind of what happened to Conor McGregor, right? And Darren Till has a similar following. Conor's whole following started with the Irish, right? That followed him locally and everything like that. Um, and they just, there was such a loud group of people. They gathered all these other people that were very curious to see, what are these, what are these guys yelling about? What are these guys talking about? And eventually this whole group became a giant crowd, right? Same thing's kind of happened with Darren Till. Um, especially with the Liverpool people, uh, English people and everything like that, even some Brazilians. I mean, these guys are really passionate about Darren Till. They really want to see him succeed and everything like that, and they're a loud bunch of people. Now, I'm not saying he's going to be as big as Conor McGregor or anything like that, but it's comparable in terms of where they came and everything like that, and the local people that came up with them and everything. If you watch some videos of these people in England, cheering for Darren Till after he knocked out Don Cerrone, it's crazy. When I saw that, I instantly thought of the Irish people for Conor McGregor. And if you give this big platform, get him the Wonder Boy fight, get him someone up there at least. And if he goes out there, you're going to see how big his following becomes if you promote him right and everything like that. Um, so it's a huge opportunity. So this whole money thing of wait, 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 no, that, that doesn't help anyone because people want to see it now, 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 right? They don't want to wait for this guy. Right, he goes and knocks out number 15, goes out and knocks out number 10, let's just say. He has a tough fight with number 6. 
He goes and fights number 10. He has a tough fight with him. Now people are starting to get tired of him. And they're starting to see that, okay, maybe he's not invincible. Maybe he's, maybe he's not knocking everybody out. But if he goes out there, gets the right matchups, gets strikers up until the title fight, and then starts developing while he's a champion, let's say, or up there in the title ranks, he's going to be hard to beat later, right? Now let's get into the questions. Um, I'm going to start off Twitter. Um, because I got less, I got obviously less questions on Twitter. Um, so I'm gonna answer those first. And remember, if you wanna, if you wanna ask me any questions on Twitter, make sure to hashtag them MMA meeting. Because um, if you don't, I have to really look around for them. Good thing that I didn't get too much, so it won't take too long to find them. First question on Twitter comes from Krieger. He's pretty much asking, do I think Dillashaw has what it takes to beat DJ, and how healthy he would be for the uh, drop in weight. TJ beating DJ is a very possible thing. Actually, I think it's a lot more even than what people think. TJ's obviously going to have the size advantage and everything like that. His striking is going to be better than DJ's uh, overall. He's going to be a lot more tricky on the feet, although DJ is a lot more fundamental, but he's flashy with it because of his movement and how fast he is. TJ is going to be hard to really time for DJ. Uh, DJ's going to have to try to get the takedown off those kicks, off those uh, switching hooks, and Dillashaw has great takedown defense. He's going to have the best takedown defense that DJ's ever going to fight. And even if you take him down, that guy's a handful off the, off the ground. And DJ's going to be grappling with a much bigger guy. So I do think Dillashaw has what it takes to beat DJ. And that's a fight that should happen. Now, the drop in weight. I don't know too much about it because I don't personally know TJ. Um, he doesn't seem like a big guy for bantamweight. He seems, he seems like a pretty small guy. He's 5'6", I believe. Not an overly muscular guy. I mean, he's pretty ripped. He's pretty lean and everything. So the drop in weight only logically looks like it would be pretty hindering in his skills probably. Um, and ability to take damage in the fight. Now, he says that he can do it. He says that the drop in weight is no problem. He could do it next month. Oh, that's what his coach said. So um, I don't think it's... If he says it won't be a problem, I'll just take his word for it. Now, Unicornio... Asmatico. I hope I pronounced that right. Sorry if I didn't. How did you learn so much about MMA and what is my fighting background? How did I learn so much about it? Well, I've been watching it for a pretty long time. Not, not as long as many people have. I started watching, I think in 2009, 2008 or something like that. I think I've, I just have an analytical mind. Um, everything I see, I always analyze. So, and that's what kind of happened in fighting. Even the first couple times I started watching it. A good example would be the Anderson Silva vs. Vitor fight, which, one, which was one of the first fights that I saw that really got me interested in watching the sport. Um, and the first time I saw the fight, I was just thinking, what happened? Why did Vitor, why did Vitor stand there? What was Anderson really doing to lull him like that? Um, and everything like that. People were just looking at the knockout, which when it happened live, it was crazy, right? But after the fight, I was thinking, what happened? Why did he even get hit like that? What was that kick? Why was people thinking? Why were, why were people thinking that kick was so crazy? After I've seen it personally, I've seen it many times, especially from uh, Taekwondo and everything. So I guess I just have an analytical mind. Maybe it's just uh, things in fighting come to me very easy. I guess people have told me that even in training, everything like that, I pick up on things really, really quick. So uh, maybe it's that. And what is my fighting background? Now I don't have a fighting background um, in terms of competing in fights or MMA fights or anything like that. I've never really competed other than Taekwondo, just small shows and stuff. Um, so I don't really have a fighting background. Now, I have somewhat of a martial arts background, even though it's not too extensive. A lot of people ask me this, so I'll go through all of it right now. So my first thing that I did was Taekwondo. I did it as a kid first. When I first started martial arts, I didn't really cater to it that much. I was kind of thrown in there. 
and I didn't really understand it. I just wanted to have fun. I didn't want to really get into it too much. Now, when I first started, I, I really couldn't even tell you today what belt I got when I was young. Even to this day, I, I don't really remember. I did it for roughly a year, so maybe it was somewhere around a green belt, so... But I couldn't tell you. The reason for that is because I never really cared for it. I, I just showed up because I kind of had to. I didn't really want to do it at all. So then a few years later, I took up a little bit of boxing. Uh, my cousins really got me into it more. The first time I actually got interested in boxing somewhat is when I just sparred backyard style, right? With your friends and stuff or whatever. And the first sparring or first boxing fight, we had no mouth guard, anything like that. We just had gloves on. We had like 14 ounce gloves and just went at it. Um, but we were kind of small, so we really didn't get that hurt. But uh, the first sparring thing I did with them, it really got me curious to do it or really drove my attention to it. Because uh, Taekwondo is a little bit different. Um, it's a lot of point contact and everything like that. But then boxing is just like you get hit and you just keep going, right? It really tests you in a weird way. And I kind of I catered to that a little bit. So I did that for a few years. And then I took up Taekwondo again. I wanted to get back into that. Um, and I started fresh. I started all over again. I uh, didn't tell anyone I did it before, so I did it again to learn as much as I could because before I really didn't care to learn. I came up into a blue belt, so that's when it starts to get a little bit different. When you do Taekwondo, and it's even it's even true in BJJ, when you do Taekwondo um, and you get to that blue belt status, is when things start to change for you. Now it starts to get a little bit more competitive, the training starts to get a little bit harder, it starts to get a little bit more serious, right? Uh, that's what mo most people in Taekwondo and most people from BJJ, that's when they usually quit. So once I got to that level, I stopped it again. It was getting to a point where I was getting a little bit fatigued from it. I started to think about other things. I got, I got more interested in soccer. I got more interested in track and field because I was doing that in school. So I took up those a little bit after that. I started competing in track and field a lot more. Um, really got a passion for it. I was passionate about track and field because mostly because my friends were doing it too. And it was really fun with them. And when I, when I was with them, I was able to train a lot harder, be a lot more serious for it and everything like that and compete, right? But then once, once uh, high school ended, I kind of strayed away from that as well. I wanted to continue soccer because that was like a long time dream for me, right? I wanted to be a soccer player, everything like that. I want to be the one of the best in the world. And I was kind of natural to it. But then that kind of died for me as well. Uh, when I got into college and I started thinking about careers and everything like that, people inputting a lot of things in me, telling me I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to graduate from college and get this degree and then work in this job and then sit at a desk and all this stuff. So I kind of just sat down to that. Freshman year, I took a job in uh, pharmacy, right? Because I wanted to be a, I wanted to get my PharmD and everything, become a pharmacist and everything. I got my first job and I just knew this was not for me. The first day, I did not want to be there anymore. Um, I know people say that about first jobs and everything like that, but it was a little bit different. I, I was thinking if I if I did this the rest of my life or something, I'd go crazy. Uh, so I stopped that and I started thinking about everything. I think about what do I really like? What do I really do in my spare time? What, what are my hobbies? Everything like that. What do I always cater back to? What do I always get myself back into? And I think about martial arts. I thought about most of what I watch is on TV is the UFC uh, or in Fight Pass or something like that. What are, what are things I'm most excited about? And I think back to boxing, right? I was thinking about MMA. I was thinking about getting into MMA and learning everything. And what really just threw me right back in there is when uh, my cousin was training in boxing. And I went with him one day. It was like this old school gym. I mean, you could just, just a smell in the air. You knew that just hard work there and, and people just putting their head down and just working. Real old school. I mean, the, the mats were like ripped up. The bags were those leather old style bags and stuff like that. 
the headgear was all, I mean, it was just old school, right? And then we went to go try out an MMA gym. It was really only grappling. It was just rolling. It was a, a open mat BJJ time, right? I went in there with some friends and everything. I tried it out. Uh, rolled with some of my friends who have some experience in wrestling. And I just did moves that I saw on, on TV. I just did moves I saw on MMA. And I was good. I was doing pretty well against wrestlers, at least. I just thought how fun this was. So, yeah, I was doing pretty well. Um, I got some submissions off, everything like that. I was rolling. I was sweating. It was just, I just had the time of my life in there. After that, we went uh, to the bag, started hitting the bags. I was throwing some of my techniques that I learned before. I don't know what it was. I felt like I was at home. I was even telling my cousin, I could be here all day. I could be here all day and not get bored. So, that's when I thought, okay, I got to get into this thing. I got to try it out. And this was roughly four years ago, three years ago, somewhere around there. When I took it more seriously and really dedicated myself to training and everything like that was more of a, or pay more attention to it and things like that was about three, four years ago. So it wasn't that long ago until I really tried to learn what I can. Um, so I've been doing that for a while. I've been practicing my Taekwondo. So I'm better in Taekwondo than I ever have, even though I would be considered a blue belt in Taekwondo. So I understand what people say with like people like John Jones and things like that. Like, oh, he's only a white belt, but is he really a white belt? So ever since then, I don't care about belts or anything like that if you're a black belt purple belt, whatever they're all different levels you never know what people did in their background that maybe they're better than what they are maybe they trained a lot more without the belts and then in this time i got a lot more interested in bjj and everything like that learn some more about that i never do gi bjj i never put on a gi i only do no gi it just feels more natural for me and i do want to take out uh take up an mma fight very very soon and i believe my philosophy is Gi Jitsu doesn't really help to MMA as much as no Gi does because you you have to have that feeling. You have, If you have this Gi, you have this coat on you while you're rolling with someone else, it just gets in the way and it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel natural if you go right into an MMA uh, fight. I know there's some people that think the other way around, but that's just my feeling. And it's a much faster way of rolling. Whereas in the Gi, it's a lot slower and more controlled. No Gi is a lot faster and chaotic, which is something I like a little bit more. So my strengths, I would say, because people ask me about this, uh, what are my strengths? It would be the striking, though, um, obviously, because I took that a lot longer, and it makes more sense to me, and it comes to me a lot better, especially with the boxing and the taekwondo skills. That's really where I am the strongest. So there's my whole martial arts thing that everybody's been asking. People are asking, what got you into martial arts? Uh, what kind of background do you have? Do you have any fights? And all this other stuff. So hopefully I clear all that up now. I'm obviously not the most trained guy. Still learning day by day with things, and I'm still rather young in life. I do have a lot more to learn, so. Then we go to the next question. Yusef Abdel Rahman, I, I hope I pronounced that right. Do uh, rankings really mean anything in the UFC, seeing what is happening in the light middleweight division? It does have some factor. It does have some impact in the UFC and everything, because you're not seeing the number 30 guy fight the number 4 guy, right? That's what kind of what, what could happen if there was no rankings. You still see people in the same spectrum kind of fighting each other. Sometimes you get crazy things like Bisping versus Dan Henderson. But it's it's a different kind of thing because they have a history and everything like that. Bisping was a champion. He wanted to avenge his biggest defeat. So in terms of the middleweight and lightweight division, yes, they're in the most confusing part. I mean, you had GSP versus Bisping, which is a whole other thing. Um, and then Connor fighting Nate Diaz. I mean, he never defended his belt yet, so... I see what you mean. It, do, it definitely doesn't mean as much as it used to. Even like three years ago, two years ago, it doesn't mean nearly as much. So I agree with you on there. Is the change and is the, the gap in fighters fighting each other in terms of ranking that huge? Where 
anyone's fighting each other. It's not to that point. Um, and I hope it doesn't get there. This is also a good question uh, from Sleep Lord. He asked me uh, pretty much what I think about chins in MMA. What percent is physical? What percent is mental? It's a relationship to fatigue and endurance, etc. It's everything, right? It matters upon everything. I think it's more mental, to be honest, than physical. Although they are very close to beating even. Because mentally, if you're under the pressure and you're not into the fight mentally, let's say, and you get cracked by that big shot, your brain, or you could just lose confidence to get back up and take the punch, which happens a lot. It happens a lot when people are fatigued. Most knockouts, when you go back to boxing and go back to kickboxing, taekwondo, MMA, anything, most knockouts or TKOs that I've seen um, actually come out from the person being fatigued rather than getting knocked out cold like early. It happens so many times where people are just so tired they can't take the punch. And that's a mental thing. That's a big mental thing. Although it's a bit physical because your body can't really embrace for the punch quick enough. Um, mentally, it's a big factor as well. Gold, Gigio, Gigio. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce that. But uh, he's pretty much asking Cesar Ferreira, just called up Paulo Costa. Is it a holdback for the eraser? This fight should not happen. Paulo Costa should have a, a higher rank fighter. It's not a good fight for Muntanche either. I know he wants the big name or the, the, the prospect that everybody's looking out for. So I commend him for that. It's a very dangerous fight for Mutanche, but uh, I don't think Paul Acosta should take this. Neither should Mutanche in the long run. And then Joel Ramos asks, what do you think about Francis Ngannou? Do you think he is the next big thing in heavyweight and can he beat Stipe? I believe so. Um, we got to see him fight Overeem, which is his first real elite test. But what I've seen from him is techniques, his size, his pretty much frame physically. He has all it is to be a heavyweight champion and a fierce, a fierce fighter to compete with. Huge power, underrated submissions, and the submissions really come from his power and his strength. I mean, he grabs onto something, he's not letting go of it. You saw that in the Anthony Hamilton fight. Who is, on paper, a better grappler? But once he grabbed that Kimura, it was over. Um, he just threw him to the ground and got it. Can he beat Stipe? I think he can. I really do think he can. I think he's the one to beat Stipe. If he gets past Overeem. His striking, I think, is better. He has a lot better movement. He has a longer reach as well. He has more power. Um, way more athletic. The ground game could be a problem if it gets there. But I think his movement and his takedown defense will be good enough. And those big shots, man. Those long punches. And he, he's pretty good with his boxing. He's one of the better boxers in the division. So I think it'd be an excellent fight, of course. But I do think he could be the one to beat Stipe. So then we go to the YouTube questions. Most like comment comes from T-Tomato. What are your favorite MMA fights and who are your favorite MMA fighters? MMA fights has been so many great ones. Aldo and Mendez 2 comes to mind. Connor vs. Nate 2. Hendo vs. Shogun 1. Cub vs. Choi um, is one of my one of my favorite ones. I really liked Aldo vs. Holloway too. I don't know why. I, I really liked that fight. For some reason, probably the fight I looked back at the most was the Ioana vs. Penny fight. I have no idea why. I really liked that fight for some reason, although it was not close at all. It really showed the skills of Joanna. I know the Esparza fight did too, but when Joanna burst on the scene and beat Penny the way she did, it was like, okay, we got something here. And that goes right into the, my favorite fighters. One of them is Joanna. Uh, I really like Rose too. Aldo is one of my favorite fighters as well. Conor McGregor, Barboza, Tony Ferguson, Dan Henderson, uh, Fedor. Um, so those are my favorite fighters for all different reasons. And then here, Andre DeCazel. I hope I pronounced that right. Um, in your opinion, which fighter has the biggest IQ in terms of strategy and adaptation? First person that comes to mind is Dominic Cruz, but I don't believe he has the highest. Um, GSP might have the highest, to be honest. Um, after seeing what he did, I mean, he does the same thing every single time, 
but with different setups and no one can stop it. It's weird. Um, that only shows that he has a high IQ. He knows what he's doing out there. He knows the opponent's weaknesses. And everybody who's fighting is not the same person. Johnny Hendricks and Nick Diaz are not the same fighter. He did the same thing to both of them. Conor McGregor also has a really high IQ. Um, maybe not to adapting inside of a fight, but his skills, his, his limited amount of skills. And when I say that, I'm not saying he's a bad fighter, but he does have a limited amount of skills, especially compared to all the other champions. He excels in striking, mostly boxing and taekwondo kicks. But the fact that he uses them so effectively shows that he does have a pretty high IQ in terms of setting them up and finding the angles for them. Although it also might be a little bit more to attributes and stuff. And another fighter that I, that comes to mind is Demetrius Johnson, of course. He might have the highest IQ. Um, TJ Dillashaw's there too, but I think Mighty Mouse might have the highest IQ out of any fighter. Adapting into a fight, strategies, and everything on him is almost perfect. Even when he's losing fights, he happens to change his whole game plan to the point where he has the advantage again. So I think it would be Demetrius Johnson. Now here's the big thing. James Sanchez. What do you think of McGregor's actions over the weekend in Bellator? Also, do you think he's ducking Ferguson? And is McGregor really as good as he is hyped to seem? Well, wow, that's a lot. Now, what do we think about the Bellator thing? Completely inexcusable. You can't really defend him. You try to defend him the way I see people defend him. It just makes you look a little bit biased. And when I say a little bit, I mean a lot biased. First of all, he shouldn't be jumping into the cage especially right after the knockout. If you want to jump into the cage, wait until the decision and when it's official. You know, that's why people sometimes are confused of why Bruce Buffer or the announcer has to have them in the middle and then one of them raise their hand, even if it's a knockout win. It's to make it official. You got to wait until then. Even if he's not allowed in the cage, if he jumps in after that, no one will really care. I mean, honestly, it's Conor McGregor, so he could do that. But jumping in it right after the knockout, before the doctors can get in, before it's official, it was at the end of the round. It was literally almost right at the buzzer, right? Maybe people couldn't even hear it, right? So you jumping in like that causes so much confusion. And potentially, it could cause the other guy to recover and get back into the fight if it wasn't over. Similar to Michael Bisping and Anderson. When Anderson went crazy, jumped onto the cage after he flying knee Bisping at the end of the round, people thought it was over, right? He gave Bisping time to recover, and that's what happened. It could have happened the same way. He could have jeopardized his teammate's win. He jumped into the cage, which he's not allowed to do because he's essentially a fan. That's the first thing. Two, you can't be pushing the ref even if he tells you the fight's not over. How many people have pushed the ref and gotten cut from the UFC? I know this is not the UFC. I know there really wasn't a commission for him. You can't go out there pushing the ref. You're putting a bad example, especially to the fans. Fans are going to think, oh, you can actually do this, you know, and all this stuff. When you really can't, you get cut for this stuff. And the other thing is, you can't be slapping an official. I understand that he was trying to push Connor off the cage, but why are you on the cage? How else are they going to get you down? What if you just sit there all day? What are they going to do to get you down? He's trying to stop the confusion. There's doctors trying to come in. They're not going to come in through all this chaos. And he's trying to get you away. We got. There's a lot of things that have to happen right now. There's a process to go on here. There's a concussed fighter over there that you almost trampled over with the security. Um, which is the thing that bummed me out the most. I mean, when I saw that happen, everything else I've kind of seen a little bit before. Maybe not slapping an official, but the things before he was almost bumping right into the concussed fighter. Doing that to a guy has just been knocked out. I mean, you got to feel some kind of sympathy for him. You know, you got to understand what he's feeling. You can't just go out there and... All, like almost dance on him. That's the thing that kind of shocked me the most. Are there going to be any punishments or something for him? I don't know. I mean, they they just said that they took him off the 219 card. Was he really ever on it? And then his manager just said that he was never taken off. So that tells me that they were going to put him on it. 
Um, so if they did that, that's a good thing. Putting your foot down in all this when you need to. This has happened only a few times, but this is the worst case. I mean, it wasn't in the UFC octagon. It's present in MMA, and it was at one of the highest organizations in MMA. You've seen it with Jason High a little bit. You've seen it with Roy Nelson. They both got punished for things not nearly as much as Connor. Now, this is Connor, so we're not going to expect um, some kind of huge punishment because it's obviously McGregor, so there's some leeway there, and everybody understands that. And now, is he ducking Ferguson? Uh, I've seen this a lot. I see people trolling Connor. You're just trying to get suspended to not fight Ferguson. You're trying to make an excuse to not fight Ferguson. I mean, it's funny, but I don't think that's true at all. Um, I don't think, at least. Because he might have been scheduled to fight him in December 30th. And is he really as good as he's hyped? Now, he probably isn't. Now, don't get me the wrong way here. He's hyped to be this all-time great. His hype, so his popularity and everything like that, it's almost to the level of Floyd Mayweather. Now, is he as good in MMA as Floyd is in boxing? No, he's not. He just isn't. He hasn't accomplished as much. He's not undefeated. The list of guys that Floyd has been, although Floyd did handpick some of them, but still, but he's up there with his hype. So logically, no, he's not. He's a great fighter, one of the best fighters in UFC, uh, top three in MMA, possibly top five. Right now, I'm saying, not of all time. So no, he's not. Felipe S, Ariana Brittany or Brooklyn. Um, well, to give an answer, because I did say I'll answer the most liked questions. Guess I'll say Brittany. I don't know, out of those three. But it's subjective, of course. It's all just your own thing. Chuck Schnick. Do you think Pettis was a PED cheat? All these fighters pretty much changing after the USADA. No, I don't think Pettis was ever a PED cheat. Now, I don't know. Now, he was never caught or anything, so I don't really know. He potentially, anyone could be. But um, if they're not caught or anything, I'm not going to say they ever did it. I think him actually losing and not be, not being to that stature that he was as a lightweight champion, I think it's more that people figured him out and he's not evolving. People know how he fights. People know how to beat him. Poirier used the same game plan that so many people used against him to beat him. That tells you something. Guida is, the, I think, the first one to find out how to beat Pettis. And RDA took that to another level, right? And then Poirier just took kind of RDA's game plan, it looked like. So I think it's more that. The Notorious asks, do you think Dustin has a chance to be lightweight champion? I do think he has a chance. I don't think it's a great chance. I mean, looking at the people that's up there. I mean, Connor's up there, uh, Ferguson, Khabib. So yeah, stylistically and everything, I don't think it's a great chance. He does have somewhat of a chance, though, if he stays technical and tries not to brawl too much. Because that's when he usually gets clipped. Well, here Jamie Smith asks, pretty much, is there one discipline you prefer to watch or practice? Not really to watch, I just like MMA. Um, after that, I guess boxing. But to practice, I like boxing training. I do like Taekwondo. I do like BJJ. Those are pretty much the three that I like the most. I do not like wrestling at all. Although it's a very important art to learn if you want to actually get an MMA or even defend yourself or something. It's a really good base. It's a really effective thing to learn. I like to dabble into other unorthodox kind of martial arts. Just to learn a little bit about it, uh, such as like fencing or something, you know, it's, or just studying it a little bit, studying fencing and the way they move and stuff. That's one example. Denial and error. Will Aldo beat Max in a rematch or does Max have his number? Now, I'm going to go more into this in my prediction video. Be sure to watch that. I'm going to go more in detail into it. Generally speaking, I think Max has his number. Early, it's always going to be hard for Max unless Aldo wants to take it back a little bit and not to gas out. Then he's going to allow Max to take over. I think Max pretty much has his number. New weight classes, uh, Comrade Benjamin asks, 165, 175, 195, 225. I am an all for this. Like he says here, a lot of talent, a lot of fighters are 
kind of struggling in between these weight classes, especially for some reason, lightweight and welterweight. Now there is in, middle, in between middleweight and welterweight as well, such as Johnny Hendrickson, Kelvin Gastelum, and there's a bigger jump between uh, 205 and 185. So I'm in all for this. 225 is also, it could be debatable, but I personally want that almost like a cruiserweight. Uh, boxing does have a cruiserweight. It's not going to be a light super middleweight, whatever. It's just going to be a cruiserweight, right? It's own weight class. So I would like to see that, like Cain Velasquez, JDS, and these guys in there, and, and then people over that are going to be these monsters and Mark Hunt and fighters like that. But it has been proven that the smaller heavyweights are dominant over the bigger heavyweights. So I don't know how much this holds true in terms of fighters fighting each other that are bigger and smaller. But in terms of cutting and everything, I think give them a little bit more options, especially 165, 175. I think that's where the biggest one is. And you'll be able to see fighters perform at their best. Now, I understand arguments against it, such as if you add more weight classes, more people are going to cut a little bit more weight to get a quote-unquote advantage. That is true as well. We've seen that before. Now, here, Brandon Taylor 383 asks, who is the most underrated fighter in the UFC today and of all time? That's a difficult question of all time, but today, it was Robert Whitaker for a point. Might be Colby Covington to a point. I think underrating him really comes from people that just don't like the guy. Kamar Usman is probably that guy too. So maybe them too. But there's a lot of fighters that could be described as the most underrated. Um, Jimmy Rivera is also one of them. So those are the guys that come to my mind right now. Of all time, uh, Randy Couture was underrated for such a long time. Especially when he went to heavyweight. Demetrius Johnson was underrated at one time. Robert Whitaker was very underrated. People didn't even know that he was coming up. Maybe Matt Serra. Uh, those guys that come to mind right now. Scolding Colt asks, uh, do you think Pettis is seriously a contender for the belt after the Poirier fight where he almost submitted him with a triangle but slipped out due to the blood? People don't understand how much that blood matters. Um, it's way slipperier than you think it is, especially when it's all over the place. For the question, I don't think so. I really don't think so. I think he has to really change some things or adapt to the game now because um, he's a little bit behind in terms of what people expect from him. I mean, he's doing everything that people are expecting. He's a little bit unorthodox at times, but people expect what he's doing out there. So, no, I don't really think he's a contender to the belt, especially after you see what Barboza was able to outclass him on the feet. Um, Habib would be a nightmare for him, and uh, Ferguson would not be easy as well, even Connor. Druder Escobedo, Escobedo asks, when are we going to get a face reveal? Maybe next week or two weeks from now, because uh, I'm going to get new equipment and stuff soon, so... Maybe when that happens, or some people are telling me not to do it if I don't really want to, stuff like that. I don't really care if it, if you guys like it, I'll do it, or you guys just like this format. So leave a comment below what you guys think. You guys like the format I'm doing now or add a video to it? Tyron Played Safe Woodley asks, uh, who would be the underdog between TJ and Mighty Mouse? That's a really good question. I think it's going to be close because they're going to think about TJ's size compared to Mighty Mouse's weight class and TJ has to cut weight. So I think Mighty Mouse might be a little bit of the favorite. So I think TJ will be slightly an underdog. I really wouldn't bet on the fight, but that's what I think would happen. Nairb Bree, I'm so sorry if I mispronounced your guys' names. Does Cup Swanson deserve a title shot? Yes, he does. He really does. Overall, though, I don't know, but I think he deserves one after what he's been doing lately. I mean, he hasn't really beaten a top contender yet, but he's beating everybody else. Um, he's fighting Brian Ortega, who is in the top 10, and has a really tough fight for him. If he gets past Ortega... I think give him one more fight because I think Frankie deserves it a little bit more as well. Um, if he could beat a top guy like 
or Carl Lamas or something, then you, yeah, you can't deny it. Right now, I think Frankie deserves, deserves it the most, then Aldo, then Cub. Cub and Aldo are a little bit debatable, but that's how I see it. Calvin Toruno asks, do you think Cruz is going to retire, but he is only 32 years old, but has those injuries that are hurting him? He just broke his arm recently. It is definitely not out of the question. Now, he's very strong mentally, so I think he will, I think he will come back, but this is not a small injury. If he broke his arm the way people are thinking he broke his arm, it's going to be a while. He might come back mid-30s. Um, it's not out of the question. I don't think he's going to retire. I wouldn't be shocked if he does, though. He's had some of the worst injuries in the sport. ACL tears and groin tears and arms breaking and list your pound for pound rankings all time. I'm going to make a video of this. But off the top of my head, I'm going to do more research on it. I'm going to try to be more objective with it. But subjectively right now, pound for pound number one ever, Demetrius Johnson. Number two, GSP. Number three, are you excluding Silva and Jones? I'm going to bring them down on the list because of what just happened. So number three, I'll say Fedor. Four, probably. Then I'll probably throw in Jones after that and then Silva, just for now. Christian Fernandez asks, what do you think is next for Cerrone? Do you see him staying at 170? And if I think that, uh, does he have a shot at the title after a three-loss streak? Wow. I think it's the first time he had back-to-back -back loss, let alone three-loss streak. I think he will stay at 170. I wouldn't throw out that he'll go back to 155 just to try it out again. But I think his, I think his home is going to be 170. I don't see him going at the belt. Kind of like Pettis, people have figured out uh, Cerrone. He has evolved more than Pettis does. He has developed this wrestling uh, wrestling game that he comes out there with. He's doing sidekicks and stuff. So he is evolving a little bit more. The wrestling especially is helping him. But I don't see him going at the title. He just got smoked by Darren Till. And he lost a controversial decision to Lawler. So maybe he has something up there with the older guys. This is what I see at welterweight right now. I think we're hitting this transitional uh, phase, the young and older guys. I see these old guys fighting it out. I see them just up there doing their thing. And behind them is this tidal wave of these young welterweights just coming up, waiting to just swallow them. I mean, you got guys like Mike Perry. You got guys like Darren Till, Ponzinibbio, although he's not as young. Uh, Kamara Usman and Colby Covington. I see these guys just, just coming right through them. So, no, I, I think... Soren's going to get hit by that tidal wave. Smart Water asks, why are you the weasel? I uh, always appreciate your comments. Um, why am I the weasel? Okay. This is a little weird of a story, why my name is the weasel. So I made this YouTube channel in 2011. So it's a kind of an older channel. I was a lot younger when this happened. And the name the weasel, I actually made this even before that. I think I made this on Facebook. I made this uh, profile on Facebook called the weasel. I think I made it in 2009 or 2010 back then. It started on Facebook. I was really just like playing games on Facebook and stuff. I don't know. I was young. I was like 13, 14, something like that. And I was just, just playing games and I would just have these friends uh, through this profile because I really didn't have a real Facebook. I just made it. And then I just brought it onto YouTube um, just to have a channel so I could just like videos that I wanted to like and stuff like that. And then I started using it to be some kind of debater. I used to debate on YouTube about all various things. I was just doing that just because I, I just love having debates, uh, especially when people say something that I think is a little bit off. So I just want to go on this whole thing about it. I want a moderator and everything. I just want to just go at it like that. So I was doing that. I was a lot younger, like I said, so I probably said some things that were kind of stupid. I didn't make any content MMA related until 2017. So six years after I made the channel, I just used this channel just to see 
So I just made this video about the, uh, the Ronda Nunes fight because I saw so many people saying things that I thought was so wrong. They were just missing so many things in this fight. Everything was so vague. Everyone was saying the same thing about the fight, but I, saw, I was looking at things a lot differently. Um, so I made the video um, just to put it on here because I already had, this was already the channel. Um, it was the Weasel 17 back then, so I changed it to, to just the Weasel. Maybe I'll change it if you guys want me to. I think people are starting to recognize the name because it's a little bit unique. And it's not like MMA breakdown guy or something, you know. It's too bland to me. Um, I like having unique names. I like having names that people don't really see before. Um, so I just stuck with this. I just made it the Weasel. Now, why is it L-E and not E-L? When I was making that Facebook profile, I believe I, w I wanted to have it E-L. But I couldn't because someone else took the name. So I just made it L-E. Um, and I just went with that. So that's the whole story why I'm the weasel. I wouldn't mind changing it to a little bit different. Maybe the weasel MMA or something. For people that don't really recognize the channel and know, oh, this is MMA. But uh, I don't really think it's necessary too much because when they see the videos, they're going to know it's MMA. So, um, and the name is the weasel. It's a lot more distinctive. You can really tell if you're looking at channels. And why I chose the weasel out of all things, it was really random. I'm not even, I'm not even gonna lie, it was random. I was just looking for a name and I saw this funny picture on Google back then, that, or at least I thought it was funny at the time when I was 13, 14. Just saw someone's face on top of a weasel's body and I just rolled with that. So that's pretty much the story about it. Now Buckethead90 asks, what's your take on Bisping's return so early? Thought he suffered a concussion when he got dropped hard. Do you think he's taking the fight? On pure emotions, as a GSP laws to give him an emotional breakdown, do you think he doesn't care about getting KO'd anymore? He actually did elaborate on that. He said uh, he is angry that he lost to GSP. He wants to show people what his training camp and what his skills can actually do out there. I mean, he's just coming off the training camp, so maybe this is like a do-over for him to show, no, that's not what I'm capable of. What I did in this training camp is going to show so much more. So he's coming off the same training camp, maybe a week or two more, um, to fight Calvin Gastelum. Now, it does seem like he's disregarding Calvin here to a point because he's just saying that I just want to show what I can do and what you saw in the GSP fight was not me. Calvin is different than GSP. This is a worse match, I think, stylistically on paper than GSP is because one, you're not taking Calvin down, right? He's not going to take Calvin down. Calvin could take him down. Two, he's much faster than Bisping. Three, he has great cardio. Four, he has bigger power than GSP does. And he has excellent, excellent boxing. This is not a good fight for Bisping on paper. I will make a prediction video about it. Get more in detail for it. I don't really think he should be returning right now. Um, I know he did say he wants to retire in March in London, somewhere in England. So that, I think, should have been his next fight. I mean, he got dropped by GSP. And that was a bad left hook. So, yeah. And those elbows did not help. But he's these are his last fights, so maybe he just wants to pour everything out there. You know, he doesn't want to leave any regrets. I saw this comment before. Uh, Ashwin Nair asks, Anderson Silva got popped again. Does he rank below or above John Jones in the GOAT list? I think GSP is a clear number one. Love your work. Thanks, man. Silva's below Jones. I mean, they're both on the same playing field. They both got caught twice for drug testing, both with some kind of steroid. And coincidentally, they both had the first excuse. Um, so when you go on body of work and take those out because they're on the same playing field, Jones is above Silva. Um, better competition, more skills, better technically, more weapons. Hasn't lost, really. Beat champions 
beat so many title contenders, went through death's row in his first run uh, as a champion. Um, Silva, of course, is one of the greatest of all time, but he ranks a little bit below. He's a little bit less than what Jones is besides uh, one or two more title defenses, and he knocked out so many people. Went up to light heavyweight as well, so there's that as well. But I go with Jones. Like I said before, I'm going to make a greatest of all time list, be a little bit more objective. It's going to be a little bit longer of a video. I'm going to go through top five of every category, go through many categories. Now, Lord Fight asks, McGregor's next opponent in time frame for his next fight. How long will Nama unit... Okay, I'll go for the first one. McGregor's next opponent has to be Ferguson, right? Has to be. Time frame, I guess March. If he's off December 30th, he's probably going to be in the Boston card um, against Ferguson. But it has to be Ferguson. There can't. It can't be anyone else. I mean, it can be, but it shouldn't be. Nate should fight someone else. Nate should have one more fight. Fight the winner of... Maybe fight Poirier. Maybe fight the winner of Khabib and Barboza. Someone like that. And then how long will Namajunas hold the belt and what's for her next? This is kind of hard because she doesn't match up stylistically as well as Joanna did with the rest of the division. Her style and everything, especially for those grapplers who like to get in tight and don't care to take shots on the way in. And of course, I'm saying about Jessica Andrade and Claudia. I mean, these, these fighters are really tough for her. In range and, and in distance, people that want to engage her like that, she beats almost everybody, right? If she could beat Ioana at that game, she's going to beat almost anyone. But where she has a problem is when people get in dirty, they want to uh, dirty box, get in the clinch, roughing her up a little bit in there, getting close. That's when she starts to not use her dynamic skills, you know? Um, she could go for those flying arm bars, which can be really crazy, but it's kind of hard to do against a short fighter like Claudia and Andrade. Now, really the only three that give her many problems, I think, are Andrade, are Claudia, and Carolina. And those are the top fighters in the division other than Ioana. I think she's stylistically a little bit too much for Ioana. But everyone else, I don't think so. I think she has a hard time against everyone else. Um, Claudia could be better on the ground than her. She's more controlling, more experienced on the ground. I think a higher level too, but I'm not sure about that. The striking, she's much better than Claudia, but Claudia likes to get in close. And she's really good at closing that distance. She was able to do it against Yuan to drop her too. Um, she has power in her hands as well. Andrade might be the most scary matchup for Rose. Because she takes shots like nobody I've seen in women's MMA. Maybe because they're at 115. I don't know. Rose just knocked out Yuana. Andrade couldn't do that. She bites down her mouthpiece. She looks to get in on her opponent. Grab onto a single leg. Get into a high crotch. And just take the opponent for a ride. And on top... That's scary. I mean, Andrade is hard to submit, especially because of her build. But here's the thing about Rose. Rose is developing faster than anyone in that division. Her skills and her fights are dramatically improving after every single fight. So the next time we see her, she's going to be even better. And she's the youngest fighter or one of the youngest fighters in the division. And she's learning quick. She's athletic too and everything. So I would not be surprised if she holds it as long as Ioana did or even longer. But I, I don't see it. I think maybe... A year or two. And her next fight, I think, should be either Carolina or Andrade. Carolina, I know people will think, why Carolina? Because Claudia just beat her or whatever. But she beat Rose. She has an argument in there. And then you got Andrade, who's pretty much the number one contender other than Ioana. But Ioana just got knocked out. I don't think she deserves a rematch. If Aldo doesn't get a rematch from a 13-second knockout and be one of the greatest of all time, holding the belt for forever, I don't really think Ioana should either because that was not a fight either. In the Aldo fight, you could, you could make an argument that it was a fluke. I made a video about it. I don't think it was a fluke at all. 
But people make that argument and stuff. You can't make that argument for Ioana. She was never really in the fight. Um, and she admitted it too that she could not fight the range against Rose. So that's pretty much a closed book um, in terms of making excuses for Ioana. So I think it should be Andrade. I think it should be either her or Carolina. Soulless Potato pretty much asking the same thing. Also, do you think Ioana would beat her in a rematch or most importantly will pose the biggest threat to her? Um, I kind of elaborated on this. I don't think Ioana is going to beat her. I actually think Ioana won't change as much as much as she thinks she will for the fight. Um, and I do see roles evolving even more to surpass Ioana even more. Um, so if you look at them like through a bar graph, you look at their skills now, you'll say Rose is a little bit above Ioana in terms of fighting each other. The next time they fight, so let's say in March, Rose's bar is going to be even higher. It's going to progress even higher, get even higher up on the graph than Ioana's will. You know, so if Ioana's goes up by like five points, let's say, um, Rose is going to go up by 10 or 15 points. So I think the gap is going to be so much bigger. It's that guy asks, did JJ tap? It looks like she did. I mean, she's, she denies it, but she says she never saw the video. Um, so that kind of tells me that she's pretty much denying it because she, she's in disbelief that she would ever tap. Now, your body does crazy things out there when you get rocked like that. You're just looking for a way out instinctively at that point um, for some people. And looked like she might have been that person. She says she was trying to get up. If she was moving her hand like that, you don't get up that way. Um, there's no, I mean, maybe she's concussed and she's trying to get up that way. I, I don't believe that to be true. Looks like to me she tapped. And it's good to own it up if it actually did happen. GSP tapped. He owned up to it. And look at him now. Another question by Smartwater. How did you get into MMA? I kind of really elaborate on that. Are you good at fighting as good as your knowledge? If not, why? I really don't know. Um, I never, Like I said, I never had a fight. Um, in sparring, I guess. Things like that. I can kind of tell you as much that I guess it's almost equal. It's almost even. You really have to ask my sparring partners. You have to ask people that sparred me before um, to really get in a more accurate assessment. Thomas Stussy, Stussy, would you do a collab with Mind Smash? I would love to. I mean, Mind Smash makes really interesting videos. I like some of his videos and everything. Um, although our styles are a little bit different. Actually, a lot different. He's more into the mental things with a little bit of the technical things. I'm more into the technical things and a little bit into the mental things. That's what I would say. I don't know. Unless you guys have a different judgment. Um, so maybe the, the the different styles can mix really well. Jose Figueroa, what do you think of the growth of MMA today and how does it compare with it before the explosion? Um, the growth of MMA today is a lot bigger than the explosion. And by the explosion, do you mean 1993 explosion or modern MMA? Either way, MMA today's evolution is far greater than it's ever been. Um, the rate of the evolution is faster than it's ever been. The evolution of now compared to the evolution of, let's say, 2007, 2008, 2009, much, much faster. I kind of elaborated on this on my Bruce Lee video. Fighters today are generally using a lot more movements. They're not trying to be as stationary as they used to be. They're picking up on everything. No one is really being one-dimensional. And even if they are, like Damian Maya, let's say, um, they're getting figured out at times. So back then, you could be a BJJ guy and be super successful. Today, that's not going to cut it. Uh, do you have any plans to break down the Masvidal versus Thompson fight? I, uh, I won't be able to. It'll be too much, you know. Uh, I got other videos. I just want to move on a little bit more because I do have a long list of videos I'm trying to get out there and some interesting videos other than your usual breakdown videos. So I won't be able to. I wish I could. Uh, maybe in the future I probably will if I have time. Not right now.
Great question by JL. The skill level of the fighters appear to be dramatically improved over the last few years. Do you think this is part of the USADA testing causing more skill fighters to shine about pure athleticism? What are your thoughts on the top level pre-USADA fighters and how would they perform today? That is definitely an impact. As much as people would not like to think that, you're kind of seeing it. You see Anderson Silva, you see all these other fighters getting caught, you see John Jones getting caught, you got Vitor, TRT Vitor, probably the greatest fighter of all time. Many, many other fighters all getting caught now and they're all performing not to their quote-unquote abilities, you know. And I think it's more mentally than physically, to be honest with you. It's a huge impact physically, of course. But mentally, the fact that you know you have the steroids or you know you have the PED there for you to take can put you in a mental relaxation, you know, or give you confidence. And taking it can give you even more confidence. If you don't have that anymore and you just have to rely on what you have now, on your skills, on your physical abilities, it could break fighters mentally to a point. So when people go and say, oh, this fighter took steroids, but look how good he was well, Look how good he was with his technique and all this stuff. You, steroids doesn't make your technique. In a way, it actually can. Mentally, that is. The mental part of the fight is way more impacting and way more important than the physical part. So that is why you got to put it into consideration in terms of how good they actually were. And it also makes your ability to take a punch better because your confidence is higher, because your gas tank is better, you're, you, don't, you don't fatigue as easily and all these other things and you, you're able to tense up on shots whereas if you didn't have and you get more tired in the fight, you can't really tense up for the shots and embrace for the punch. So yeah, many fighters, pretty much all the fighters that were taking it back then probably wouldn't be doing as well today. You do have Overeem, but Overeem took a different style of approach to a fight. Before, he was much more willing to just bulldoze through you, just hit you with these big shots, and he was not afraid to just stand in front of you and just throw. Now, he is the opposite. Although he does throw those big shots, he's looking for his openings, he's using a lot more footwork, and a lot of different techniques. Side kicks to the leg, uh, switch front kicks, and everything like that. We go to Dwayne H. What do you think of the wrestling aspect given so much weight in MMA scoring? Where is wrestling in the title? Mixed martial arts. Do you think scoring for wrestling dumbs down the fighter's skill set? Do you think there are too many fighters having success because they could take a punch and are good wrestlers? Pretty much, wrestling is a very important aspect of MMA. It really can control where the fight goes in the two different worlds. It's pretty much transcending through different universes when it comes to the ground and standing. It's pretty much the bridge to that. So, so it's huge, right? Um, it could really dictate where the fight goes. And if you have a good wrestling base, it's hard to get you there too. So you can really control all of that. Now, wrestling is scored not as much as it used to be. Back in the day, if you got a takedown, you pretty much won the round. Today, I'm very glad that they're straying away from that because the takedown is not as important. It's important, but only if you use it, right? So it is a big aspect, especially with takedowns and controlling the opponent on the ground and everything like that. But it's not as big as it used to be, especially with new rules and everything like that. Because now you have to take the guy down. And not only that, you have to actually do damage or get some dominant position, which is how it should be. Generally, I think striking should be above grappling, which it is now, according to the new rules. Striking, such as landing significant strikes and stuff, is going to be counted more than takedowns or dominant positions. Because... When you land a significant strike, you're closer to ending the fight than if you just have a dominant position on the ground. Now, it used to dumb down fighter skills because they would just try to avoid takedowns as much as possible, be very defensive, or if they are wrestlers, that's all they would do. They'll take you down and they'll just control you on top 
without really doing anything. Now you have to take the guy down, and now you have to do something because you might not have won the round with the Bisping and GSP fight. Look at this. Bisping was landing elbows off the top or, or off the bottom, and he won the round off that, even though for most of it, he was on his back. He got taken down and everything, but he won the round. So that's a good example of that. There are some fighters that take advantage of this, being good wrestlers and being able to take a punch and just using that to pretty much lay and pray, I guess, if that's what you mean. Um, even though that has kind of died off a little bit more, there are still people like that. There are still fighters like that, but it's starting to die out a little bit more. I think a big one that people were disappointed in was the Cormier and Silva fight, where Cormier just took him down and just sat on top of him, although he was landing big shots on top. And it was Silva that was really the one that was holding him down um, with the lockdown and everything. But Silva, of course, doesn't want him to get in a dominant position. But by throwing, by throwing in the lockdown, he wasn't able to actually do much off his back. He wasn't able to get up or go for submissions. So it was kind of a standstill with uh, Cormier landing elbows on top. So by that, Cormier would have to win the rounds. None of those rounds were really 10-8 to me. Now I'm going to do two more. Sugar Ray Eagle as the most dangerous fighter at each weight class. I actually like this question. Okay, now first, what are we determining as dangerous? I'm going to go by most dangerous everywhere, right? So knockout power, submission threat, everything like that. And pretty much to the degree that they're dangerous in those things. So if you're Anthony Johnson or something, you'd probably be the most dangerous in the weight class. Although you don't have the elite ground game to handle wrestlers, but your knockout ability trumps so much. So heavyweight, Francis Ngannou. Light heavyweight, I guess Volkan. Mainly because people underestimate him so much and he has this huge knockout power. Middleweight, probably Yoel Romero or Robert Whitaker. Welterweight, probably Darren Till. Kamar Usman is pretty dangerous as well, as is Robbie Lawler. So those, somewhere, somewhere between those three. Uh, lightweight, probably Tony Ferguson because he has a whole package. And he's dangerous everywhere the fight goes. Uh, featherweight, maybe Max Holloway or all those pretty dangerous as well. But I probably have to say Cub Swanson to the point that he's so chaotic. He's so unorthodox and he's dangerous everywhere. So probably because of that, he's probably the most dangerous and he goes for broke as well all the time. And then um, bantamweight, probably Cody Garbrandt. Um, hard to take down, huge knockout power. Probably the fastest hands in the division. Um, experienced boxer and everything like that. Flyweight is Demetrius Johnson. No one really compares to him in that. Although Ben Nguyen, Ben is also a very dangerous fighter. Female featherweight, I wonder, uh, maybe Cyborg. I'm just kidding. Uh, Cyborg, of course. Bantamweight, Mana Nunez, no, no question about it. Strawweight, probably Rose Namajunas. The fact that she's dangerous everywhere. And she has good knockout power and everything like that. Steven Segala asks, 12 to 6 elbows, what, are you, what is your opinion? Pretty much do away with it. There's no evidence that they're super dangerous compared to what you can do on the ground. Even regular elbows that slash you inches and probably have actually more power, um, they don't really change much if you add them. The angle could be hard to defend and it can get right into your eyes um, with the point, so that could be potentially dangerous. But in terms of raw power and ability to knock your opponent out and stuff, it's not too dangerous than what you can do. Joe Rogan elaborated on this millions of times. They got this through uh, videos of people breaking ice with it. 12 to 6 elbows, which is kind of ridiculous. I mean, I've seen people break more than that with other moves that they actually use in MMA. But now, if they don't throw this away, I don't really mind it too much. I like to see it in there because I want to see how much it changes the ground game. But um, it, it's not as big of a problem to me as it is for some.
So that's it, guys. Um, that's the podcast. I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to make another one next Tuesday or possibly the Tuesday after that. So actually, comment below. I want you guys to tell me if you guys want me to do this weekly or bi-weekly. I think bi-weekly will be a little bit more to talk about. And I'll be able to get out more content with extra weeks in between. So, uh, yeah, leave that below. What do you guys think about the podcast? What do you guys think I should keep? Should I do a face reveal? Should I just leave the format as it is and everything like that? And tell me if you guys actually want it to be longer or shorter. So, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed the video. And if you did, make sure to give this a thumbs up. And if you enjoy my content, make sure to subscribe. I'm going to see what your guys' feedback is and everything. And if you guys like it, if you guys want me to continue more, I'll throw it out to other outlets as well on iTunes and everything like that. I'm going to get new equipment and everything for my usual videos and also for this podcast. Yeah, so in my next video, I'm going to make a technique video probably tomorrow or by Thursday. So be on the lookout for that. And then I'm going to make my prediction video after that for the UFC this weekend, which is an excellent card. Um, really, really interesting main event. So be on the lookout for those. I'm sorry for any questions I didn't get to. There's a lot of questions that came in. I appreciate it. Um, I wish I can get to all of them. There's just so much of them. And really good questions uh, for the first podcast. So again, thank you guys so much for watching. And I'll see you in the next video.